Want to know what it's really like to grow a B2B tech company? Hey, I'm Sam Dunning, host of the Top 10 B2B Marketing Podcast Business Growth Show. And to check out all my free resources, guides, or whenever you're ready to apply to work with me, head over to samdunning.org. So this episode was taken from a recent interview I did on the Design Rush podcast. I share the ups and the downs of running a B2B tech company so you can learn from my mistakes. I share a bunch of thoughts around building out a content engine, the main channels we use to drive qualified inbound leads that you can put into play yourself. I share the importance of really niching down when it comes to a B2B business and a bunch of ideas around career growth. Let's dive in. All right, Sam. So let's jump right in. Okay. First of all, again, thank you so, so much for joining us again. So um, just starting off with the podcast, can you tell us and the audience a little bit more about yourself, such as like things of your early career or how you first linked up with your co-owner Felix in starting Web Choice UK? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So um, yeah, there's three of us that run the agency Web Choice, myself, Tom and Felix. I've got a bit of a funny backstory. So to give you the shortened version and feel free to dive in into it deeper as you wish. Sure. I probably, I'm I'm 32 now, but back when I was about, I don't know, 17, 18, getting into the world of work, I worked in a retail store called Jessup's. And they basically, if you haven't heard of them, I, I don't know if they're in other countries, but I think they're mainly UK. But they are like one of the original camera shops. So they sell like physical cameras, um, video kit, all that kind of good stuff. And at the time okay. I was quite into media, still am, hence I've got a funny setup here and run the podcast. But that was my first kind of job out of college and essentially, yeah, selling cameras, camera equipment to the general public. And I absolutely hated it. I hated dealing with people face to face, like customers were so rude to me. Yeah. I'd ask them if I could help, they'd tell me to get lost. Yeah. And, uh, I can see you're nodding away. And yeah. <laughs> so I did that for a year or so and thought oh, I'm getting sick and tired of kind of dealing with the general public. This just isn't for me. And my cousin, Tom, who's now Kona said, well, look, I'm, I'm doing some part-time work with this company selling websites and online marketing. Do you fancy coming for an interview? We might need someone to help with project management. I said, yes, did the interview the next day. They said, you're hired. I quit the retail job on the next day. And that was that and kind of just worked, worked on all sorts, really started out as a bit of jack of all trades, kind of building website wireframes, running sales calls, um, helping with project management, learning kind of the, the A to Z of building websites. Um, weirdly, I've, I've actually come and left. I don't know if anyone's ever done this as quite as much as me, but I came and left web choice probably three times. My word. Different jobs. One yeah. was working at a call center. One was when I was going to join the army. And then one was for something else. Then came back again about four or five years ago. And then realized, yeah, I actually want to focus on SEO and websites and B2B marketing as a career. And then decided I wanted to become a co-owner and buy into the company. And that was probably about three or four years ago. And then ever since, I've been kind of focusing on B2B SEO, web design, Amazing. and also run a, run a podcast as well. So... That's the shortened version. <laughs> I mean, geez, it sounds like you've had 
lots of branches of journeys that you've gone on to. I mean, you know, wanting to join the military, other companies that you've joined and then come back to that and everything. Um, one question though, what was it about Web Choice UK that made you keep coming back to it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. I've, not, I've never been asked, asked that actually. So I have to have to think what kind of make, makes it that. But I mean, I guess it's because there's a few elements to it. I enjoy the work itself. Like I'm genuinely interested in helping kind of B2B companies because we work on a similar model as running a business. We need new inquiries coming in the door to generate business, generate clients, generate customers, customers grow our business. And we do much the same for similar companies. So I like the fact that the end result of what we bring drives growth and drives revenue for companies. So it actually gave me fulfillment in whether that was, I don't know, redesigning a website to convert more leads, whether that was doing an SEO strategy to drive more traffic and opportunities for business businesses, because we were doing that themselves ourselves. I enjoy, enjoyed doing that for companies. I guess the people I work with as well. Um, and just yeah just just find find enjoyment in both the process and and the end results and and the fact that it's quite a flexible quite a flexible role so right now working from home in my spare room i just took the dog out for a walk i can go to the gym i can take a couple hours off i can look after my kid then i can get back to work and yeah i don't have to do a traditional nine to five i'm, I'm very fortunate that i can be quite flexible now you're known for helping businesses get on their feet as you've basically mentioned yourself previously uh, with the help of marketing and SEO. So was there like a specific point in your life where you decided to specialize in these segments and what makes you so passionate about helping businesses grow as you mentioned previously? Yeah, I mean, the moment I decided to take a focus on kind of mainly SEO with our business was probably quite selfish, really. I mean, just like most just like most SaaS, most software as a service companies focus on recurring revenue, getting clients through the door and then billing the monthly. We wanted to do the same, like we were selling websites and our revenue was up and down each month. I thought, well, what's a service that makes sense for us where we can add value to customers, provide a service that's actually going to generate them business and inquiries, leads and customers or signups and demos, and at the same time grow our business. So we have less of a up and down revenue flow, but more consistent. And SEO sure. was the no-brainer. It was a bolt-on of websites. We already had content writers. We already had uh, members on our team that could do it. So kind of a few years ago, it made sense to add that to our armory because we were doing it for ourselves to get clients. Why not do it for our customers? So that was okay. probably the main reason. So as a co-owner of WebChoice, have you managed to set yourself or how have you managed to set yourself apart in the B2B industry? It's a good question. Um, it's, it's not something we did right away. Like I couldn't, I couldn't say straight away, are we niche down? Um, because we've certainly learned the hard way Like over the last, I don't know, 13 or so years that I've been doing this. Th first off, I thought we could sell anything to anyone. And then I realized when you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're nothing to no one. Um, mm. because you're basically saying we offer these, I was listening to a podcast folks talking about this exact thing this morning where, if you sound like you're a 360 degree all in one solution, you're just trying to appeal to the masses when you think you're appealing to everyone, but you're not having a niche and being upfront that you're not for everyone actually is a lot more radically transparent, appealing to companies that need your particular offer. So you might repel some businesses that don't need you. That's fine, but you're going to engage the, the type of businesses prospects 
that you want to be working with. So yeah, we, we learned the hard way after gradually working with businesses that we felt were a decent fit. So these days we tend to work mainly with B2B companies that tend to have a sales team um, and they tend to be either kind of service-based companies or tech or software companies. Um, and the reason being is because that's mainly what we do ourselves. I mean, we're, we're a service and we're a tech company. That's how we generate inquiries through SEO and websites that convert. And then likewise, we enjoy working with those companies because we know the industry because we're in a very similar one myself. Um, because I run a podcast, business growth show, B2B marketing podcast, I interview like tech, software, um, VPs of marketing, chief marketing officers and stuff every week. So I've interviewed like 300 of them so far over the last three years. So I have a good grip on how tech marketing works, how B2B marketing works. I understand the industry well. I sell a lot myself, so I understand that sales teams want a steady flow of inquiries, leads and demo requests. Mm-hmm. So rather than just going for vanity metrics like traffic and rankings, we understand that the end result is a demo that's qualified or a lead that's qualified. That's the output that these companies want. So let's work together to see if we can help them. Right, exactly. So like a little bit more on the podcast, as you just mentioned as well, what made you to decide to take on the role of the podcast host in the B2B sector? That's a funny one. I did it. I think I started it in 2020. And yeah. it was like what just when COVID was getting serious in terms of lockdown in the UK. And it was mainly because back then, I actually initially wanted to improve my own sales skills. Uh-huh. So I started it on a bit of a tangent. So it wasn't focused at all, just like our website and SEO company wasn't focused. The podcast wasn't focused. It took okay. three years to niche down the podcast. Um, so I started it by just interviewing people that I looked up to, like, I don't know, sales leaders that I saw on LinkedIn, entrepreneurs that I knew had grown, grown great businesses and just ran interviews that weren't really focused. They would just ask them on their background and ask for a few tips on kind of sales, marketing, entrepreneurship. Sure. Did that for about a year or so. It was basically like a free education, just learning from people that I wanted to learn and sharing that on podcast channels and YouTube. Clever. Then after Clever. <laughs> about a year and a half, I focused it down specifically to B2B marketing. So then mm-hmm. like once a week, I'd do a solo episode where I would share actionable tips on like driving leads with your website with SEO and B2B marketing. And I'd also interview a marketing leader from a tech or B2B company and get them to talk about a specific topic. And it would be no fluff. It would just be literally actionable actionable tips on one specific area. Mm -hmm. And then once we took the angle, then I started kind of seeing a better uptick in the listeners, but also more importantly, like inquiries that were coming in that were attributable to the podcast, where they'd actually say like, we'd listen to the YouTube channel, we'd listen to the audio podcast, and we'd like to discuss a project. So yeah, it wasn't a quick thing. It took me like a good few years to actually take a steer and take a grip, but it started off as a fun thing. The good sure. thing about a podcast is, like I said earlier, it's like a university on steroids. Because most people that you ask to interview on the show are quite happy to be asked. It's, it's very rare that people turn down the opportunity. Um, yeah. And there's so many ways that you can use a podcast to, to grow your business and build exactly. your brand and your company. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I really like that you kind of started out by interviewing people that you were looking up to and use that as a learning experience. I actually find myself, even with these podcasts that we're doing, is I'm learning so much. And I, I can just imagine also for other listeners of ours as well, also learning a lot. Um, 
so yeah, it's really amazing to just get to talk to people. But I did see some of your episodes actually. Um, and they were super engaging. I really love them. Uh, I actually watched one. I can't, I unfortunately can't remember the name of the woman that you were, uh, interviewing, but I think it's one of your more recent podcasts. I think she's a copywriter and she was talking okay, about yeah. AI. Yes. Yep. Linda exactly. Malone, yeah. Absolutely great, uh, episode with her as well. Really, really good. So, okay. Sure. Let's talk a little bit more about marketing and SEO and your business growth so far. So getting into the meat of things, what would you say are the biggest traps that companies tend to fall into when trying to grow their business online? And what piece of advice would you have um, for them, you know, particularly for those that are just starting out or just starting up their digital marketing business? There is so many. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to acquiring customers online, like you only have to go onto LinkedIn, right? And you'll see like 10 pieces of conflicting advice mm -hmm. and one one guru or one expert will be telling you to do one thing and then another person will be telling you to do the other thing and someone else exactly. will be telling you to buy their LinkedIn course and whatever. Um, but you want to start with the quick wins, right? Especially if you're a small, small business or bootstrapped or you've got limited cash, then you want to start with the channels that are almost no brainers. So you want to think where are my target buyers, my target prospects, the clients that are ideal for me, sure. where are they most likely going to go when they need my service right now, here right now? Um, what are the quickest routes to market for my company? Mm -hmm. Typically, there's a couple that spring to mind. So if you're like a B2B service or B2B tech business that we tend to deal with, then usually those no-brainers are going to be inbound and they're going to be something like, Google paid search, AKA Google AdWords. Mm -hmm. So if someone quite literally searches for your offer, I don't know, maybe you provide a proposal tool like best proposal software tool. Um, then you create ads that capture that inquiry by mm. literally knowing the keywords that your target market search and building out ads to capture that, send them to your homepage or landing page and get that lead or demo. Sure. Um, or likewise, you can do similar. That's probably one of the quickest routes to market or similar. You can do SEO. But of course, that takes a bit longer. We're talking rather than weeks or so to get set up. We're talking months or so to see yeah. those results. Um, so you want to think Google isn't going to be applicable for everyone, um, but it's going to be applicable for a big chunk of people that listen into this. Mm -hmm. So you really want to think like if someone needs my service right here, right now, what will they search to find us? Um, will they be using Google? If so, what are those main services, offers or similar they'll type in to find our offering let's build our ads maybe think about an seo strategy or content strategy around that mm -hmm. um for some companies like tech or software you might be better off in investing your funds into ad um aggregator sites like you guys at design rush or whether that is another aggregator site like clutch or g2 um sure. or trust trust radar there's so many right you need to find out the one that makes sense for you the reason being those sites run exceptionally well on Google search um, and they sometimes can reduce your cost per click compared yeah. to using AdWords um, and companies place quite a lot of trust in those. So they again can be a quick way to get leads. So that's probably one of the quickest ways. The main times you want to think about if your website needs changes or updates is mainly if it's not working to fuel your business. So like I say, most of the time, Prospects I speak to, businesses we speak to, they want their website to be their best salesperson. So to generate 
bearing in mind it's live 24 7 yeah it can your your website can either be your best sales rep or worst sales rep depending on how you treat it and how you market it um yeah even if you don't market it right so if if all your business is word of mouth or referrals if you're getting recommended and a prospect goes to your website and it's super slow it doesn't clearly share the problem you fix or how you help maybe it lacks social proof maybe it looks like a potato on mobile um, maybe the design is terrible it's super slow and it's hard to understand kind of your value prop see results yeah. doesn't share pricing and it's difficult to get in touch then they're probably going to get annoyed and then just head to a competitor so it shows you that even if you don't market your website you rely on word of mouth you might be losing opportunities you never actually knew about exactly. needless to say if you do invest in ads and marketing and you're sending a ton of traffic and you realize that your website isn't perhaps has got a high bounce rate Maybe it's slow loading, maybe it's got low session times, maybe it's not generating many leads. Maybe you're getting feedback from prospects that they don't actually understand what you do or the problem you fix, or they felt like you weren't transparent or pricing or something else. Then those are the times when you get real evidence, either from customers or from data. Those are the times you want to look at making amendments to your website. And that might be messaging, that might be design, that might be pages, copy, um, etc. So it shouldn't really be built on guesswork. The times you update your website should be based on customer feedback or real data. So just getting back a little bit to web choice, um, you guys rank number one on Google in the UK. So could you share some insider tips with our audience um, on how you rank on Google? Um, so I mean, the, the probably the most competitive keyword we've got is web development company. Mm-hmm. which is like page one in UK, EU and a few other regions. So I won't share that one because that took a long time, right? Because it's super competitive. Okay. <laughs> it took a lot of links to build. It took a lot of a lot of work over time. I'll share some more recent examples because we've had that a long time. So like recently, I've got us page one for keywords like B2B SEO company, which is quite competitive. Yeah. SaaS SEO company, B2B web, uh, B2B SaaS web design. So quite new and quite niche down terms but super relevant. We've built out over the last three months, probably like 30 or so pages, Mm -hmm. but very niche down and specific. So when a mistake that a lot of companies make, either in-house or when they hire SEO agencies, they do SEO, but they think SEO is just blog articles. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like a massive mistake that companies make because yes, articles are useful in SEO, but they're usually at something called the top of the sales funnel. So they're more yeah. for like informative searches when someone wants to learn how to do something, they have a question or they want more info. Whereas you want to start the opposite. You want to start at the bottom of the funnel where someone's going to land on a page when they actually need your offer or your service or your product today. Mm-hmm. So you want to start with what's called high intent or more commercial keywords. So uh, an actual tip that we did that other companies can do is what are the niches, the industries that you serve? Yes. find out what they're searching for and build out those pages to capture that demand of a high intent customer searching for what you do today. Mm-hmm. So in our case, that was things like B2B SaaS SEO, building out a page for that, B2B web design company, um, SEO for funded startups, uh, um, SEO for SaaS companies, SEO for fintech, all those different pages. And how we did that what you can do is literally type in, work out all of those first, make a detailed list of all the niches you serve that are most profitable clients for your business and you actually want to do business with, list them all out, 
make use a tool like hrefs or semrush to find out what keywords are relevant then google each keyword that you want to rank for look at the top three organic results assess what they've got on their long form pages because these pages are probably going to be quite long form quite detailed look for gaps in the content i.e okay they've got information about the problem they fix maybe some about the offer and then maybe some case studies what how can we improve this page all right they haven't answered some questions maybe we can add some common questions at the bottom like why are you so expensive when it comes to seo um how how long how does it work do we get a dedicated account manager what are the questions you get on sales calls because google rolled out something a while back called eeat experience okay. expertise authority trust so they want to see that you've got hands-on experience hands-on expertise that you have, you're an authority in in the industry and that people are going to trust you so if you can portray that and the content that you put in these long form pages that I've just laid out, it's going to help you rank a lot better. Um, so that's what we do. Basically assess the top three rankings, the organic rankings, see the gaps that you can fill. What content don't they have? What questions haven't they answered? Have they shown enough social proof? Have they answered common questions that you get on sales calls? Make a list of all the ways you can one up those pieces of content, those pages, and then do it. Put it into play. Get someone from your team that's got expertise in the area write out a detailed page then do technical seo on it so do the meta um, do the page titles h1s h2 h3s the meta title description get all that on point if you can here's a cheeky tip add a nice embedded video so if you do if your team do produce content then add an embedded youtube video i did this on a bunch of pages it actually from my experience on niche pages helps them rank faster plus the video can show in the search results so like yeah. if you search in the UK and EU, like B2B SaaS SEO company, you'll see my ugly mug next to it in the thumbnail. So it gives you a chance to improve your click-through rate in the search results. Um, so literally that, that's all I did. I just thought of the top services I wanna be selling for our company, built out all those pages, assessed the competitors and looked for ways to improve. Okay, well that sounds like an amazing strategy. Uh, probably easier said than done but it sounds like a lot of work but definitely worth it at the end for sure so um as you kind of said earlier as well um i don't know if you know the full extent of it but design rush also hosts a complete directory of digital marketing agencies around the globe so in like saying that what would you say are some of the most significant benefits of agency outsourcing for digital marketing and seo well i suppose it depends right um most of the time you've got to ask yourself the question as either an in-house marketer or a founder depending on who's listening to this do we have the resources in-house to be able to do a decent job whether that is website seo in our case or perhaps another digital marketing channel can we do this well um is it a good use of our time should we take time out of our day so rather than doing our traditional jobs to set aside messing around with website seo or whatever it is um or is our time better spent against our hourly rate or our client rate to be doing what our normal job is and just pay an agency a few grand a month to look after it for us you've got to weigh it up the pros and cons if you have resources in-house or if you've got a hire in-house and what makes more sense to your business um because usually there's a learning curve as well if you want to hire in-house like they they've got to be trained up unless they are subject matter experts on the topic they're probably likely to be more expensive too if they are weigh up the pros and cons then if if it works out more sense to hire an agency find an agency if it doesn't do it in-house 
what would you say the top things are to look out for in a great agency that you're outsourcing? Tough one, without being biased. Um, you could be a little biased, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a few things. Um, so, I think a good agency realizes that they're not yes, yes, men or women. Um, because they don't like I was talking to, like we've talked to a lot on this episode, their, their niche, their focus, they know who they can and they can't help. Yeah. So instead of saying, yes, I can hundred percent help you before even having a conversation, then you should be worried. So most good agencies will take the time to have a conversation with you, understand your offer, understand your niche, your industry, who you serve, um, your average order value, what you're doing right now, where you want to get to in the next six, 12 months. They'll take the time to understand your business, your model, the current results and where you want to get to. And then they'll be clear and upfront whether they can or cannot help. Um, so they'll have a decent conversation and they'll be transparent. And likewise, they'll be able to back up their own claims, whether that is practicing what they preach with their own results, like doing it themselves or likewise for their clients. Um, and then they'll give you a, a clear idea of, of how to work together and I would hope deliver on, on what they've, they've promised. So um, we also often hear that everything comes down to good content. Um, how would you explain the golden standards for good content today? I suppose it's actually giving your target prospects what they care about seeing mm-hmm. um, and understanding that most of us are selfish. We care about what's in it for us. We don't care about your company at all. Um, so from a search standpoint, when you're creating content, it's got to, and it's got to do a few things depending on the type of content. It's got to match the user intent. So if someone's searching for a specific type of offer or if they're searching to compare you versus another company, they probably want to know a few things. Like they probably want to know quickly that the problem you fix or that you can fix their problem. They want to know a bit more about how you're going to do it. Um, maybe they want to know some answers to their questions like I talked about earlier like what's the price what's the process how does it work um all that kind of good stuff so it's yeah good content understands what prospects care care about in that relevant scenario um and most of that intel comes from expertise so I'd say one of the best places to actually get content ideas whether that, and when I say content, that could be a blog article, that could be a website page, that could be a piece of media like video, it could be a podcast yeah. episode, whatever. One of the best places I've found is sales calls because um, from sales conversations or, or customer success calls, you can pull out what are the common questions that we get on a day-to-day basis. Okay, let's make content to directly attack that, whether that's an article, a video, a podcast. The beauty of that is that content's evergreen. That means not just one person searching it. Loads of people are searching every day. So that piece of content can bring in traffic and inquiries, not just now, but for months and years to come. Exactly. Just like when you do a search on YouTube, like if you search on YouTube for something, you probably see a recent video, but then you probably see a video that's like six months old, 12 months old, three years old. Um, So evergreen content is something I'm passionate about. I think it's really, really powerful. that's yeah that's a few tips really sales sales calls are awesome for getting common questions objections and then handing them directly in pieces of content because it's searchable it's really powerful that's what i'd recommend cool love that so um 
let's talk more about like the specific niches that you guys focus on, right? So how does your approach to SEO strategies change depending on your client's niche? I mean, could you give or share a story that you've turned uh, turned to unordinary SEO strategies due to the industry being super specific? Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's, there's so many, right? Um, so most of the time it's for any business, it's like I've been talking about a lot on this episode, it's knowing what are prospects searching for starting at that bottom of the sales funnel, what are prospects searching for when they need to speak to sales today around your offer? So if you're a SaaS tool, like a proposal software tool, maybe they're searching for, I don't know, proposal tool for sales or proposal tool for car dealerships, whatever. Um, something like that or best proposal tool for selling or best proposal tool for car dealerships and knowing what are um, customers searching for because like I say so often when it comes to SEO companies just knock out a load of blogs and they might get some traffic but they're not really generating leads and that's because the user intent isn't there these prospects probably want to get their question answered probably skim the article that shows on the search results on Google and that's that or maybe they'll sign up to your newsletter maybe they'll follow your podcast maybe they'll follow youtube which is fine for the top of the funnel and those those can be nurtured over the time and they can eventually become customers but you want to research through a number of ways through using keywords research tools like href semrush whatever um as well as sales schools again this is something that not a lot of seo agencies do because a lot of companies make the mistake of thinking they have to go after high traffic search terms, which are often early sell, um, top of funnel queries, like how to do something or how to fix a problem, which is fine again for the long-term play. But you want to know what is the prospect searching when they need your offer right now. And again, sales calls can sometimes be useful to, to know those kind of things, the lesser known things, because if you're getting these asked for quite a lot, they can show us really low traffic in keyword search tools and keyword software programs, but they can actually capture up quite a few leads um, because not many companies are going after these terms. So if you're getting asked for something a lot and the software tool's showing it as low search volume or zero search volume, but you know that you're getting asked it, build content to match that search query that addresses it and you could actually get a steady stream of inquiries from it. But yeah, doing doing the no-brainer stuff, knowing what what keywords make sense, knowing what someone searches when they need your offer, your tool or your widget now, putting content to address that and then slowly working up the funnel, like mid-funnel is when people are comparing vendors or X company versus Y company or perhaps they're searching for how much does something cost um, and then the early stage stuff, how to do something, best ways to do something, searching to fix a problem. That's like top of the funnel articles, which is more of a nurture play. Um that kind of stuff really is yeah. it's most of the time knowing the industry, knowing what your prospects search for and exactly. um, creating content that matches that search intent. Yeah. I mean, when you put it like that, it makes a hell of a lot of sense, actually. So, okay. We're kind of nearing uh, the end now, but uh, before we wrap up, I just want to know, what do you think um, generative, generative AI will do to change the way professionals currently approach SEO? Yeah, I made an episode on this the other day, actually. So Google rolling out, or they're working on SGE. So they're working on search generative experience. Mm -hmm. Now, bearing in mind, I focus on 
B2B mainly. Um, I don't think it's going to have a ton of impact. Where it is going to have a ton of impact is these top of the funnel searches. So the generic, basically what, what the SG or the AI results are going to look like is if you search a question like, how do I, how do I lose 10 pounds in three weeks or the best ways to, I don't know, best ways to lose weight. I don't know why I'm on a lose weight thing, but something like that <laughs> or, or best ways to make a cocktail. These kind of questions, uh, these queries, yeah. it will give a top, top of the, um, top of the search results or have instant results. So traditionally on Google, you type your query or question, whatever, and you have to troll through, troll through a bunch of links and click into pages and get your info. So it'll give search generative experience is going to give that result instantly in an AI field that will take up most of the top half of the page. And then you can even ask further prompts. So if you asked a question like, what's the best way to build a proposal? It might give you a, the answer above the fold. Um, and then it might have prompts like, did this answer your question or would you like to know more or could you tell me more about this topic and then ai would generate some more results so for yeah. question and queries i think ai is going to impact the results a lot and if your website was relying on traffic from those kind of articles you might notice that it decreases a lot when that gets rolled out mm -hmm. but that said it will still have two or three supporting articles next to the AI, ai results so you have got a chance to rank there to get a click through on that article if you do a really kind of well-written article and it will have the classic listings underneath that top of the fold AI section. Yeah. But where I don't think AI will impact as much is what I've been talking about all this episode is towards the mid and the bottom of the funnel where kind of, uh, prospects are searching for your service tool offer or comparing vendors. Um, so those rankings look like they shouldn't be too affected by AI because um, AI can't really be biased. It can't really give kind of unique insights. It can it can easily tackle those simple queries when it gets more detailed or specific to offerings and that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem to, to be effective it. So if you have a solid strategy around SEO and you know what your customers are searching for when they're comparing your offer, searching for problems you fix or need your solution now, then for now with SEO, you should be okay. So as a co-founder, what have been some of the most significant challenges that you faced at WebChoice and how have you overcome them? There's some every day running a company, um, all sorts, cash flow issues, staff issues, project issues, you name it, we've probably had it. Um, so it's, I suppose one of the best, sometimes the best thing you can do is take this depending on the severity, obviously if it's super severe, you need to deal with it right there, right then. If it's something where you can take a little bit of time out and not make an instant gut reaction, mm -hmm. that's sometimes good. So sometimes things can seem super bad if you're staring at the PC screen for hours on end, but then you take a walk, um, like I might take my dog out, go to the gym, whatever. Then you've actually had time to think about it, assess it and think, oh, it's not quite as bad as I thought when I was just staring at my screen, looking it in the eyes for two hours. I've taken yeah. some time, reflect it. Okay, let's let's take some action against this issue. Whether that is, I don't know, perhaps clients are drying up. So you need to look at other marketing channels or do some outbound work to get some new clients in. Perhaps you've had some issues with staff, um, perhaps some clients aren't making payments, whatever, all these issues we see in the agency world. Sometimes if it's like I say, if it's not super severe where you need to deal with it right there, right that second, sometimes step, just stepping away, maybe chatting yeah. to your friends or chatting to your network or chatting to your colleagues, taking time to cool down is probably one of the best, best ways um, that I've found to, 
then think, okay, how can we take action on it? What are we doing now? What are some things that we can change to kind of get this on track? Cool. Okay. So, okay, looking toward the future, are there any emerging trends or technologies in digital marketing and SEO that you're most excited about? Well, yeah, AI is going to be interesting. Yeah. And those those points we just discussed about there, how that's going to impact the uh, the search results when they roll that out um, in various countries. That's going to be interesting to see how that Im- impacts the search results and how certain websites that perhaps have been a bit too blog focused on their traffic get impacted. Um, so that's probably one of the main things that's up, up and coming in terms of an SEO standpoint. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Google do there. It'll be also interesting to see how they change their ads, Google ads, yeah. because obviously a big, big money spinner for Google is is the fact that right now the ads show at the top and bottom of every search result. Um, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how they keep that flowing um, when the AI instant search results come. Um, so I suppose those are the main things that will be interesting to see when they, when they get rolled out. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, Sam, what advice do you wish you could give to yourself at the beginning of your career um, while you were building it in, in marketing? Mm, again, most things like loads of stuff, but um, <laughs> probably take, take action quicker. Um, procrastination is something I, like many people, are, are great at. I can spend hours scrolling on LinkedIn, post uh, replying to comments and faffing around when really my time is probably better spent on other things. Um, so yeah, thinking about, yeah, by all means, take time to think, get inspiration from other sources, um, other trusted sources. Like for example, my, I think my career took a big positive change when I started investing in myself and when I say that I mean actually listening to audiobooks around marketing around entrepreneurship business growth hosting my own podcast and interviewing people that I wanted to learn from and then taking action like actually noting down the ideas taking action against it building my own stuff experimenting learning what works what doesn't and progressing and yeah just just trying to actively learn something new when you can and take action against it and experiment for yourself, build something, build a podcast, build your own website, start posting on LinkedIn and uh, see, see how it goes. What's the worst that can happen? Amazing. I really love that. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As always, if you did, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts is very much appreciated. And for more free resources, podcasts, guides or Whenever you're ready to apply to work with me, head over to samdunning.org.